Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 61. doing how's your weekend how's your last two weeks been i hope everything's going great for you guys uh yeah let's see what's going on over here i just uh, went and saw my friend Josek. he is married to a woman who grew up in chapel hill he's a new york friend and he was down here visiting his in-laws with his wife and we went downtown to franklin street met up at a cafe next door to the record store because I wanted to go record shopping and the cafe, you know, we got there like, I think we met at 10 and it was full Chapel Hill and Carborough, man, serious cafe laptop culture. Like they're just full all day with people on laptops, not talking. So, you know, I brought Jane and like, we're talking and we're not like on our laptops, not saying anything. And I just, we were the only people in the coffee shop talking and it felt like, like we were interrupting everyone. And you know, Jane was very well behaved, but it was like still a very kind of awkward. And then eventually she got a little restless and started running in circles in the coffee shop, not running, but just sort of trotting around the main center table, you know, communal table. And I was like, all right, maybe, you know, it's interesting out here in, in, in the boonies, five, 10 minutes outside of Chapel Hill, it's like all adults with kids and everybody's baby crazy or has them. And everybody talks to Jane and says, hi, and there's other kids for her to talk to but college kids just don't care. They don't even look up. They're just like, there's like one woman who's like, maybe like thinking about having a baby and was looking at Jane, but like, that's it. Nobody even paid her. Like, they just don't care. It's really fascinating. And then we left the coffee shop and it was like 1030 in the morning and there's like nobody on the street. And we're like, wow, it's crazy. You know? And an hour or two these streets are going to be packed because it's sunday it's beautiful out it's sunny it's been really nice here lately it's warm but uh the only people out in chapel hill unc are like the diligent students at the coffee shops working and a few athletes running around you know so we walked up and down franklin street and then we went to the record store and that was great they're remodeling they're expanding it's good good to see a record store expanding i've been living in perpetual fear that place is going to close they're making a bar next door and then it's kind of like a little mini rough trade in williamsburg you know uh, it's pretty neat. I'm really into it. And then when we got out from that at around 11:15, like the streets are packed, and I was like, "Yeah, college kids don't get up early," which I suppose is fair. I didn't get up until early until my 40s, so who am I to judge, right? But yeah, it was great. It was good. Good to see him. Good. Good day. Having a good time. Uh, yeah, just I was in Alaska, as you know, since the last time I did this podcast. Uh, that was pretty rough. Let's see. I left the day after I did the podcast. I think I did the podcast on Monday and I left on Tuesday and then I was there till Saturday night, but you know, took all day Tuesday to get there. And then Saturday night was like a red eye home. I got home on Sunday. So I had Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all day Saturday there. So four days. Uh, flight up, you know, I was like, wonder what's going on with the coronavirus. And I got on the first leg from RDU to DTW and the woman next to me has got a mask on. I'm like, oh, this woman, you know, she's like just paranoid. And, but then she's coughing the whole way up and then wiping everything down. I'm like, oh, she's actually using a mask properly. She's like sick herself. And she was, and it was freaking me out, but it was fine, whatever. And then, uh, you know, like you get to Seattle. I went to the Sub Pop store. It's lovely. It just really is kind of amazing that you have a Sub Pop store in an airport. That is just fantastic. And uh, I bought like Jane a little Sub Pop t-shirt and uh, there's like a commemorative plate in there. And I asked the woman working, oh my God, my finger's bleeding. Huh, whatever. 
I asked the woman working, I was like, do you ever sell plates? She's like, not very often. It's kind of a rite of passage when you work here. Like when you sell your first plate, we throw you a little party. I was like, oh, that makes sense. That's pretty cute. Uh, and then the thing I love about the Seattle airport when I'm going to Fairbanks is like, you could walk around that airport and not look at signs and you would still figure out exactly which gate is the gate to Fairbanks, Alaska, man. First off, they're always talking about curling. Like <laughs> it's just a dead giveaway. If you, any, any gate where people are talking about curling, that's the gate to Fairbanks. And then it's filled with slopers, uh, people that work on the North Slope who have a very specific look to them, especially the ones that commute up from the Pacific Northwest. And I was just sitting there and I was like, it's like when you get to the gate, I remember this all for the last 30 years of travel up to Alaska. It's like with this visceral memory of like you sit at the gate and usually yeah, more than half the time, you know, someone on the plane. Right. But uh, I didn't really know anyone this time, but, uh, you know, you just recognize everyone. You're like, yeah, this is the Fairbanks gate. And I've been having this feeling for 30 years of my life. It's pretty crazy. But, uh, then, you know, flight up for Fairbanks. Uh, the guy next to me was is a sloper. He was watching Jojo Rabbit. He started watching uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood first, and he got like maybe 20 minutes through, and then he switched to Jojo Rabbit, and he did finish Jojo Rabbit. So I guess that you know that tells us something about the norms and their movie viewing preferences, right? The other fun thing about that flight is like nobody goes to sleep, right? The flight lands at 1 a.m. Alaska time when you get to Fairbanks, which is 4, 5 a.m. East Coast time and 4 a.m. West Coast time. I'm sorry, 2 a.m. West Coast time. And nobody goes to sleep because the whole point is you get to Fairbanks at 1 a.m. and then you get to wherever you're going, your home or your hotel, and you go to sleep. And you pretty much can avoid jet lag because as long as you just go to sleep and you can get like seven hours, you're good to go, right? So nobody goes to sleep on this overnight flight. It's always really weird. I like that about it a lot. I just read my book the whole time. I finished it. Felt good about that. So I got there, you know, I text my mom and my sister, I'm here, but it's 1.30 in the morning, so I'm just going to go to the hotel and go to bed. That was the plan. They're like, oh, and they were both asleep. That was up. But anyway, so I woke up in the morning, 8-ish, and my mom had texted me, and she, like, around 6 a.m., she was like, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm taking dad to the ER. He fell again. I'm not capable of taking care of him on my own, and we are at the ER. So that's what I woke up to at 8 a.m. on Wednesday. And I'm like, all right, I'm coming over. She's like, well, you know, give me, give us a little time because the way I'm trying to convince them to let them stay here and we're still in the ER and I don't have a room number or anything, but we will imminently. So I was like, okay. So I got some breakfast. I did some grocery shopping. I stayed at Sophie's station, which is over, stayed there for a few reasons. It's cheap and you know, five days hotels add up and it's by the airport. So it was a quick thing to the hotel from the airport at two in the morning after I got my rental car, which was a minivan and it was awesome. And uh, I used to work there, so I have a nostalgic attachment to it. And also, it's got kitchenettes, so you know I'm trying to be on a diet, I'm trying to be healthy. So I wanted a kitchenette so I could make breakfast and not go to McDonald's or Taco Bell every day like I always do when I'm up there, or even Sam Sardo Cafe, which I did not go to and I love, and I kind of regret that. A lot of things I didn't get to do on this trip, as you will see from this story. So, but I did go to Fred Meyer and I got a bunch of groceries, took it back to the house, got some breakfast, and then I went to the uh, hospital. And by the time I got there, right as I got there, my mom had gotten, my dad had gotten a room and he was going to be there a while. They understood the situation and they got him a room. So my mom texted me the room number. I went up there. I saw my dad and, uh, you know, they, he, was, they, he was just getting settled in. There was like four people working on him and it was just this giant sort of like production. And, you know, I said hi, but I was like, mom, I think we need to leave for a little while and let this all play out and we'll come back once he's comfortable. And she's like, yes, let's do that. 
So we went to the DMV because my mom got robbed by one of her caretakers. I mean, we're not 100% sure it's a caretaker, but we're like 95% sure it's one of the caretakers. And not just because like suspicion, whatever, there's evidence. I'll get to that in a minute. So she had to go to the DMV and she was telling me this story. You know, she lost, thought she lost her wallet. She thought maybe it was stolen. And then it was found in the in like the common area of her. She lives in like a, they live in a place called Raven Landing, which is uh, an elderly community. It's not assisted living, but it's elderly and it's actually pretty cool, as we will talk about later. Um, so we had to get a new license. Luckily, she had a bunch, she had a ton of cash in there, like five hundred bucks. But she had a ton of cash because she had already previously lost her credit card. So the guy they didn't even get a credit card. So that was good. So she got her driver's license replaced and then we went and picked up my sister from her work and we visited her work and, uh, that was cool. She's worked there for a long time. It's an environmental engineering company. My sister is an environmental engineer. And then we, all of us went back to the hospital to see my dad and sort of, we had kind of the first conference, uh, about his future. So Paul Osbloom, who is one of the Osbloom family that uh, I went to high school with them. That was pretty weird. You know, it's Fairbanks. So of course <laughs> he knew my mom cause she was his vice principal and his dad worked or his dad or uncle, one of the men in his family worked with my dad at the airport. So, you know, Fairbanks, small town, been there 12 hours, find someone, you know, Paul was two years ahead of me. So I knew who he was, but I didn't really know him. And, uh, but he was a social worker and he had a partner and we started talking about what the options were. And, you know, this is interesting. So like at first, they just assumed they didn't, they just were, Medicare was their only option, right? Their, their only insurance that they're on Medicare. And they basically said that my dad was going to have to go into an assisted living home immediately. And that my mom could not live with him because that would be ten to $15,000 a month for her to live there too. And insurance wouldn't cover it because she's not sick. Uh, but then my mother was like, no, we have state insurance. I've got the bronze plan. My dad's got the platinum plan. And they're like, oh, well, that changes everything. <laughs> and you know, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking about this with the, the election and Medicaid for all. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, well, first off, Medicaid for all would suck in that way because they would have been separated. Uh, so I did a bunch of digging on that. And like Bernie's plan does including in-house care, but he is very vague about it. And then Elizabeth Warren's plan also includes in-house care, but is very specific about it and how it works with coverage. You can get auxiliary cover, whatever. It was all very interesting, but, uh, my dad's state pension health plan saved him and he gets to stay at home. They weren't going to let him go to home until we figured out his care coverage though. Cause my mom had help, but it was like a couple hours a day and it wasn't working and she needed full-time help. And so we, you know, they told us everything we needed to do. They got the hospice application going, uh, and they got, you know, we set up a meeting for the next day with Misty who runs the caregiving company. And we talked to my dad for a while and hung out and it was nice. And then we left. Uh, he's like not, okay. So I will pause here and explain what the condition my father has. It's called progressive supranuclear palsy PSP. Uh, you can th- basically think of it as Parkinson's, but worse, right? There's no treatment. There's no palliative treatment. There's no cure treatment, nothing, right? Like at least with Parkinson's, there's L-DOPA, which lessens the symptoms. L-DOPA does not work on PSP. It's like, uh, nothing does. Uh, he's not in any pain. It doesn't really like, it basically slowly shuts down various motor functions, like, but you're not in pain and it is not mental impairment. He can't talk very well anymore. You have to really work to understand him. Stay, stick with mainly yes, no questions. Uh, but 
you know, he's in there and he's totally cognizant and he's actually in kind of an okay mood. At least he was. Um, I think part of it is like for, you know, the whole thing with this disease is my dad fell and broke his neck maybe five years ago and he had his had neck injury problems his whole life. He broke his neck when he was 30 and they didn't know for 30 years. They found it out in his sixties. He had neck surgery. He recovered from that one. He fell in his early seventies and he broke his neck again from the fall. And since then, you know, the month or two recovery in a recovery home. And since then, he's just not been able to get better, really. And I think one of the reasons he's feeling better now is that for the last five years, he's had this physical therapist essentially berating him, telling him if he worked harder, he could get better. But it turns out he's probably had PSP the whole time. In fact, it's probably why he fell to begin with, right? So... Uh, I think in a lot of ways he's like, okay, I wasn't like a lazy failure these last five years. I had a reason I couldn't do this. And that's probably kind of relieving, you know? Um, and he's just, he's also just a polite guy and he's like, you know, he keeps saying, I'm sorry, which is like heartbreaking, you know? Anyway, the big thing is that nobody knows how long he has. It's like kind of complicated for a few reasons. One, you, the average lifespan of somebody gets diagnosed with this is seven years, but we think he's had it at least five years, but he might have had it longer, maybe less. We don't know. He got his MRI in Fairbanks, but the doctor that like did the analysis and the diagnosis is in Anchorage. And my mom was kind of like shaken when she learned this diagnosis. So she forgot to ask about a prognosis. So now like we had to get the imaging from the Fairbanks hospital back to the Anchorage hospital. So that guy could like give a a prognosis. We had that sent and then they lost it. So my sister had to get it resent with a tracking number and now he's got it. And tomorrow my sister and him are talking and we'll get a prognosis. Um, sort of the last phase with PSP is that they can't swallow anymore and therefore they, they can't really eat anymore. And then they sort of just die, especially if they have like a, uh, their living will specifies no external food, right? But he can still eat. He can still swallow. He's not even to the soft food stage. So by one measure, he might still have at least, you know, six to nine months because he can still swallow. And it usually takes about six months after the swallowing stuff. But, you know, it's, it seems to be really rapidly changing. Four weeks ago, he could walk, and now he can't even get it. He's not getting out of bed ever again. So it is, you know, my mom said even since I've gotten back, which has been like five days, it's gotten a little worse. So, you know, it might be really quick. We don't really know. So, and the doctor might not know, right? We'll get this prognosis tomorrow, but he might might not be able to tell us anything. We don't really know. So it's kind of stressful. I mean, if like he, you know, he went tomorrow, I just went up there. My conscience would be clear. I wouldn't feel regret that I didn't see him the last time, but I need to sort of plan trips every three to four and five months. Because uh, if it's like two years, I don't want it to be like, oh God, I haven't been up there in a year, you know? So I, I will be basically using all my vacation time this year to go on trips. I'd like him to see his granddaughter one more time. We FaceTimed a lot. And so you could see her and he just loves her so much, you know? And so like, I want to bring her up, but I don't want to do that in the winter. And I'd like to preferably come up with Emma and, and, and maybe even Janet and I'll go up in the spring or summer when it's nice there. So that's kind of the next trip, probably April or May. If he makes it that long, we shall see. So that's where that's it with that. And then the next day we had the meeting with Misty and we switched over to 24 hour care. We got two people that stay at the house one, four days in a row. And the next one goes for three days. We got hospice set up. This should tell you something about the prognosis. You can't get hospice covered under Medicare unless two different doctors concur. There's a more than likely chance that the patient's going to last six months or less. So he got that. So, you know, he got hospice. So it might not be that long. Um, but then again, a lot of times they just do that to get you hospice because they know you need it. So we shall see. Uh, so we worked all that out 
and uh, we did that on Thursday, and then on Friday, I had to go buy a bunch of stuff, for, like, you know, you need a different, like, depends, because they can't lift them out of bed, you can't change it, so they gotta get the tab kind, needed a baby monitor, because the woman, my parents have a two-bedroom apartment, my, putting my dad in the living room, the caretaker's in the second bedroom, they need a baby monitor, so she can keep an eye on him at night. You know, I just had to go buy a bunch of stuff, and they had to, like, get, get everything ready, I had to get the hospice appointment, and hospice approved, that happened. And they moved him back to the house, to the apartment at Raven on Saturday. So Friday, I spent most of the day trying to get the insurance paperwork filed because that's a just giant fucking nightmare, even with the state coverage, which is really good. I had to like get, you know, all the daily reports from the different caregivers. I had to get like the diagnosis from the doctor. I had to get the caregivers plan. I had to get like the hospital thing. I had to get all this stuff, put it together. And then I had to fax all 80 pages to this like insurance company in Florida. And it's like, um, when we did the hospice planning, uh, caretaker planning meeting on Wednesday, on Thursday, a representative from the, the from Raven Landing went as well. So this is one of the great things. Like they're in this, it's an apartment complex, but it's an elderly living community. So they don't offer like medical like care, but they coordinate really well. The apartments are all like accessible. They're really well done for like having hospital beds in them. The, you know, there's a senior community with events. The whole thing is indoors. So you don't have to go outside. You know, there's common areas, there's books, there's movies, and there's a staff of people. And you know, this woman, Megan, she's an intern. She's from Texas. But she's an intern in a PhD program for elderly care. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, she's just so amazingly talented and good at this. And she helped me with all the insurance stuff and the facts and everything. It was really great. We spent like an hour sitting awkwardly together in this like small room, faxing 80 pages, 70 pages to Florida. And it was really weird. Uh, so anyway, on Saturday, they drop off the, the hospital bed. Uh, that's kind of amazing, right? The hospital can just deliver hospital beds within the hour. Like I did not know that we have that kind of infrastructure in America, let alone in Fairbanks, Alaska, where they're just like, all right, you need a hospital bed. And then it's like, there's, you know, two big burly dudes come and put the hospital bed together. And they're like, okay, we're ready. And then the ambulance, my dad home and three people like move them over there and uh, wheel them in and, and move them to the bed. And then the first caretakers there and Misty comes and trains a caretaker. It's like this whole operation. And it definitely inspired a lot of confidence, but even with all of that, the first caretaker lasted two days and quit. She was not super experienced. The second one was a nurse and she's great. And the hospice people are great. But the first one was like, you know, I'd been a nanny and she just couldn't hack it. So Misty had to get coverage for it. And it's like, he is getting 24 hour care, but it's just like, there just aren't a lot of good people to do this sort of thing in Fairbanks, Alaska. And it's just really a nightmare. And I wish they had moved here, but of course they weren't going to because my sister, you know, um, but God, it just would have been night and day. It would have been so much better here. And it's really hard, but he does have 24 hour care. Hospice comes a couple times a week and he is doing much better. I put like Jane's photo frame. He has one of those Nick's play photo frames. It's really great by the way. And I just upload photos of Jane and you know, most of my conversations with my dad over the last nine months have been in him. Well, they were just here in the fall, but you know, texting me saying like more photos of Jane, more photos of Jane. So I uploaded a bunch. I put it there we FaceTime with Jane. It was nice. Uh, but it was sad to leave him there. And then like, I'm saying goodbye on the last day and he's like, I'm sorry. And I just almost lost it. I almost started bawling. Like we all try to be like pretty happy in front of him. You know what I mean? But like when he's like, I'm sorry, I'm just like, Oh, come on, man. Oh, this is depressing. You don't need to be sorry. This is, I love you. We all love you. This isn't your fault. It was, it was, it was a little hard. Uh, yeah. So that's that whole part. 
I didn't get to do much else in Fairbanks. I was going I wanted to see my friend Chris. I really only was like texting two people, Chris and Frank. Chris has a kid and he was working on a different schedule and he lives out of town and you know, like the roads are really icy and I'm scared of them and I was just so busy. The only time I had free was like late evenings. So I saw Frank twice to go to a bar to just like have a drink and take my mind off of it. That was nice. But really like, oh, and then my, my sister took me to lunch one day with our friend Chandra. I hadn't seen her in a long time. That was nice too, but that's it. I didn't really do any socializing. Did some driving around town. I saw the house where I was first lived in when I was born. I saw my second house. I didn't drive out to Farmer's Loop to see the house that I, you know, grew up in from 13 on because I didn't want to deal with viewpoint drive and the ice. Um, wasn't that cold though. You know, it was 30 below the night before I got there, but right when I got there, the cold broke and it was, it was like zero in the night and 10 and 10, 15 in the, in the uh, daytime. So it wasn't bad. I brought my parka up, but I was like, I don't need this. And I just mailed it back home. I'm at the post office and I'm mailing the parka and I had mailed up a box to my parents from my storage unit. You know, it's like box about 12 by 12 by 12. And it cost me $16 to mail this box priority mail to Fairbanks. Right. So I'm mailing my parka home and I'm in Fairbanks mailing a box. It's also 12 by 12 by 12 weighs the exact same weight. And the guy's like, that'll be $68. And I'm like, Oh my God, man, I just mailed this same size box up here and it was 16. He's like, well, you know, it's Alaska. I'm like, I know I hate this place. And he's like, the gates open. Nobody's keeping you here. <laughs> I'm like, thank you mailman for editorializing. And I was like, don't worry, dude, I got out. <laughs> I was like, really? I can't, you know, I had to, couldn't, couldn't leave Fairbanks without having one awkward conversation with a Fairbanks in about like how great it is. Right. I'm just like, Ugh, whatever. Uh, but I did also get to see my aunt Bonnie and a couple of my cousins. We all had dinner, then me and Val and my mom and her sister and a couple of their kids and met one of my cousins, new wife. That was great. Her name's Portia. She seemed lovely. So that was nice. You know, it was mainly a family visit and, uh, it was pretty intense. And then got on the plane, the red, the, the red eye home and, Flew home at six hours to kill between 2 a.m. and 8 a.m. in the Seattle airport. Sub Pop store is not open at 2 a.m. Sadly, nothing's open. And then I came home and I've been home ever since. Yeah. Chatham County's been lovely. I got the fridge fixed. The electrician came. That was nice. Uh, I've got these like buzzing lights in my library and they couldn't fix them. And I'm just like, these lights are LED dimmable. And they, the fixtures came with the bulbs and they still just buzz. And like, it's not the dimmer because we saw the dimmer and I'm like, oh, this sucks. And I got to like replace the like fixtures in my library. And also the electrician like blew out our faucet. Did you know you could blow out the electricity on a faucet? Our faucet in the kitchen is like, you know, you swipe your hand and it goes on and off. And he was, there was like a short in the electrical box when he was working on it and it blew out the faucet. That was <laughs> so the next morning. I'm making breakfast for Jane and I'm like, there's no water. I didn't know your faucet could just not work anymore. And I was like, oh my God, imagine smart homes. Everything just could break. It sounds terrible. Uh, it's not a Wi-Fi connected faucet or anything. Don't worry. It's just, you know, I don't even, I don't even use the little hand wavy thing. I thought I'd like it, but I don't really like it. Wow, it's a weird transition from my dying dad to my faucet. I apologize for that. We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, we're back. Uh, yeah, everybody here is freaking out about coronavirus, man. I mean, I'm sure they're freaking out everywhere. I went and did my grocery shopping this weekend, and like, there are just people hoarding everything. It was out of control, you know. And I also had to go. I went like an hour or two late because I had to do some stuff in the morning, so I couldn't go with Jane till after breakfast. So I went at like ten instead of usually go to the grocery store at like eight. And it was just like hundreds of people with carts full of cans, and I'm just like, man, you guys got to calm down you need to calm down. It's really crazy. It's really crazy. I get the whole supply chain thing, but I mean, come on, man, it'll be fine. 
I mean, I guess it'll be fine. You know, it's weird, right? It'll be fine in the long term. It's just like the flu, I think. I think that, like they right now are freaking out because there was a hope to contain it and they thought we could contain this thing and then we wouldn't have to deal with it. But it's, it's done. We just have to accept it. It's out. It's gone. It's going to be like a flu and a cold. It's going to have a coronavirus season, COVID-19 season every year for the rest of our lives, right? And, and if we can make it a year, we're fine. They'll start having vaccines. Uh, I think maybe the time to freak out is over because I think it has gone global and there is really no stopping it at this point. So I, you know, I was kind of hoping not super excited. I mean, I'm excited to go to New York and there's a couple of rock shows I want to see in April and I want to see some friends and, you know, and just more productive at work when I'm there. But, uh, I wouldn't be sad if they were like, please limit all voluntary travel, something like that. And then I could like use that and say at work, I'm not going up, but until they do that, I'm going to keep going, which means eventually our whole family is going to get it. Right. But it's not like that lethal. I think we'll be fine. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying not to worry about it, but, um, everybody else sure is. And it's really weird, right? Like I go to the groceries. It's just beautiful. It's just been sunny and like 50 here every day. And like, it's just like, so idyllic and then you go to the grocery store and it's like a zombie movie <laughs> it's a lot of cognitive dissonance going on with that uh, my friend nick came up this weekend for one night on friday we went to a punk rock show we'll talk about that in the music section but it was great to see him we had a good time got some drinks in me it was lovely i uh, ordered two bottles of the fourth ave brand uh Amaro. It's a Brooklyn distillery. They have a gin and an Amaro and a port. And I ordered some of the, the Amaros. Uh, my friend Kristen and I had it at dinner when we were at diner a couple weeks back. And it's just lovely. It's like Fernet, but like different. It's nice to mix it up. And and I, uh, I had a Bud Light seltzer when I was at the, at the punk show. <laughs> it's so funny. I was like drinking, you know, I was talking to the bartender about it and not a crowded show. And she was like, yeah, yeah people love them. They stay hydrated. And I'm like, well, beer is just water too. And like, also like I was drinking high life and I'm like, high life is like a lower ABV than this Bud Light seltzer. Like that's insane. If they like, how can you call it a light when it's stronger than normal beer? It's just wrong. You know what I mean? But it was delicious. I'm not going to lie, but I'm not going to be a seltzer man. Uh, then we also had two left in our fridge here from some entertaining. So when I got home, I drank those too. So all the seltzer is gone from my life. Aren't you proud of me? Uh, yeah, it was good to see Nick though. Get some QT with some with a good male friend. It's male bonding. Uh, it was quite nice. Jane's doing good, mostly. The bib choice situation is getting even worse. My friend Andy texted me about how he was like laughing at me about the bib problem when he heard it on the podcast. But uh, now I can't just hold out the bibs for her like I'm a, a, a waiter. She has to walk over to the drawer. She has to open the drawer herself. She has to pick out the bib. Then I can put her in her chair. Then she has to put the bib on herself, which she is completely incapable of doing. But she insists that she does it. So basically, at some point when she's distracted by a banana or something, I got to sneakily put the bib on her. Because all she does is just lay it on her chest and you cannot touch her or she'll lose her mind. It's pretty crazy. We did make some progress, uh, mainly Emma, because it happened while I was gone, but she can say, I do it now. So that's a big part of the whining. If she's like, she's not doing it consistently yet, but we're making progress because like half of her. Yeah, that was rough, right? Sorry about that. But that's what I have to live with, right? But anyway, half the time she does that, it's because she wants to be able to do the thing herself. So now that she's starting to learn I do it, it's getting a little bit better. But there are some good things that are going on. She started singing, which is really adorable. She sings the Adventure Time song. She sings Kitty Power, which was an indie rock band in Boston in the 90s, started by Daryl from Turkish Delight and his two sisters. She loves Kitty Power. She sings Kitty Power. Uh, And today something interesting happened. We were in the car and we were listening to Way is Blood. 
And then the song switched and it was R.E.M. And it was a guitar song. And she goes, guitars. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So when we're in my office, she points at the guitars and says guitars. But this is evidence she knows the different instrument sounds. That's That was a first. That was pretty cool. Uh, the other thing that's pretty great is that there's like this whole thing with redos like that adults don't do, right? So if you put the bib on her and she wanted to do it herself, she'll scream. But you can be like, oh, sorry. And so you can just take the bib off and put it back and she'll be like instantly happy and satisfied and then do it herself. Right. So with an adult, if they want to do something themselves and you do it for them, it's patronizing and you can't just immediately undo it. You can't just be like, sorry, and back up. And then they're not upset. They're still kind of offended and annoyed or embarrassed or whatever. There's some emotion there. Right. But now with her, it's awesome. Like you can do anything for her. And if she doesn't like it, no matter how complex it was, you can just reverse the whole thing. And she's like, great. And then she can just do it herself. Like one time I put her shoes on and got her out the door and she was still screaming. I was like, Oh, okay. So I picked her up brought her back in, took her shoes off, set her down, put her in front of the shoes. And she instantly stopped crying and was perfectly happy again. So I do like the perfect emotion free redo. That is, that is quite nice. And this morning, last two mornings, when I picked her up, I am convinced she's dreaming because she's just said like sort of nonsensical words as I've been walking down the stairs, you know, and that's kind of cool. Baby's dream, I think. And that was, that was really nice. And I'm finally teaching her soft and hard. That's a, that's a, that's a new one too. She's like, understands we knock on things soft and hard. And she's like soft and hard. Wow, that knock really rumbled. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, she's doing good. I like my baby. It's pretty good. Terrible twos are rough, but we're getting through them. We're getting through them. Let's turn to media. This is going to be a long one today because I talked about my dad so much, but what are you going to expect? Uh, the media projects are still going pretty well. I did my trial run of ripping a UHD Blu-ray and selling it on eBay with Toy Story 4, and it worked great. So I've got like five more that I've ripped, and I'm probably going to sell them off on eBay now that I'm back. Uh, the cassette ripping is going awesome. Uh, I haven't posted today's yet, but I have ripped 84 cassettes, probably got about 30 left. They did the math and it'll be done end of next week. So that's pretty good. Um, still posting one a day and I, you know, I'd probably post one a day for mm, at least in a couple months after this. It's pretty good. I'm really into it. I like listening to them and I've been remembering a lot of great songs. And so I have set up this vinyl ripping station now. I think I mentioned this last time. My turntable is a USB turntable, but it's across the room from my computer because it's not an instrument, so it never needed to be connected to my computer. But I took an old laptop and I plugged in USB cable, set it next to it, and I can record my vinyl. Because some of those cassette tapes I needed to recompile because I only had a case, but I really cared about that tape, so I would remake it. And, you know, I had all these, like, obscure 7 inches and stuff, a lot of, like, Sleepyhead, Juno 44, Sabine, Buddha on the Moon, Jessamine. And I've been ripping them all, and it's just really, like, there's this song by Sabine called I'm Ready to Start Fire to Everything, which is on a seven inch compilation called Emily's Never Number 777, Audrey's Journal, or something like that from from uh, Farago Records. I don't know if you've heard of any of that, but it's just an amazing song and I love it. And like the Jessamine one on the same thing is called Reflections and it's great. And neither one of them is on the internet and like anywhere, right? They're not on Spotify, they're not even on YouTube or Bandcamp or anywhere. So like, uh, there's a song called Je Reflections by Jessamine's on YouTube, but it's wrong. It's not the right song. It's like an 18 minute drone piece instead of a four minute rock piece. So it's been very, very rewarding. I got to tell you, I'm super into it. I've been doing the photo albums as well. Uh, but when I was up in Fairbanks, my mom just basically dumped all the rest of the family photos on me. A photo album of my grandfather's from the 1930s when he was in Panama in the army, helping bomb proof the canal, like all the way through, like meeting my grandmother. It's just an amazing photo album. And then a box of photos. And then one last carousel of slides of my dad's. I had taken probably about 10 years ago, most of the carousels, about 30 carousels of slides. And I got them professionally scanned. But there was one I missed, apparently, so she gave me that one. 
So, you know, I can scan most everything at home, but I got rid of my slide scanner. I used to have one, but I don't anymore. And so I actually bought one of those Kodak, uh, throw everything in a box and rip it boxes that they are advertising everywhere on the internet. And it's actually a really nice experience. The box came the other day and it's got like little barcode stickers. You stick on everything and you know, I, I'm going to put the, the carousel of slides in there and it's got room for the rest. So I'm going to do the quick photo scans of my family photos with my phone, but I'm going to send them off to them too, because like, I think they'll do higher res than I can do with a phone. And those are, you know, old, they should be done really well. So like, that'll be good. That'll be interesting. It takes like a month though, but I will keep you apprised once it shows up because, uh, it's pretty cool. It's a good customer experience. And you know, I bought it off of an internet ad, so I guess uh, it's working, right? Uh, I will recommend it once it's done. If it's good. And then while I was in Alaska, my four track, new four track came, the Tascam port of seven to replace the one that was broken. And I got four quarter inch patch cables and I set it up right above my eight input preamp eight ad expander for my Apollo interface. And I plugged all four tracks of the four track into the interface. And I made a template in logic that just records tracks one through one through four on four separate tracks in logic. And I got it all working and I did one test cassette and it worked great. So like, I've got a box of like 40 four track tapes and I'm just going to like make new mixes of it all. <laughs> like all these old songs I did. So like, there's bands I forgot I was in. There was a band called Benedict Arnold that me and my sister and Gavin Brown and we're in in Alaska. I forgot all about it and I have a four track tape of it. That'll be awesome. Uh, so that's exciting. That'll be the next audio project after the cassette tapes. I'll probably start that in two weeks. After you guys, you guys will hear from me again before I start that, but I'm very excited and it all works really well. I made sure that the four track worked this time. Uh, and then any, if anybody here has a pat and as much four track tapes needs a task cam port of seven, let me know. Or send me the tapes. I'll rip them for you. I, I love doing that stuff. It's very, very therapeutic for me. It's a good time. Uh, turn into music. I sold two things on Discogs. I sold a Sheep on Drugs single. <laughs> Sheep on Drugs motorbike, which was really weird because I sold it the same day that I ripped an audio tape from that year. It was like an electronica compilation I made that had Sheep on Drugs motorbike on it. And then I sold the tape. I was like, well, that's, I sold the CD single. I was like, well, that's a weird coincidence. And I sold a copy of Jeff Buckley's Grace. I think that was Emma's copy. I feel like I've sold three copies of Jeff Buckley's Grace. People love Jeff Buckley, man. Almost bought a Jeff Buckley record today. There's a live on KCRW record store day pressing. Has anybody listened to that? Is it any good? I kind of wanted it. Uh, I did see some live music in the last two weeks. Uh, when I was in Fairbanks, Frank and I went to the Marlin and we saw a band there. Uh, I don't remember their name, but they were good. Uh, kind of weird. Kind of like not like, like what you'd think in Fairbanks. It was like proggy, but not hippie proggy. But not like cool proggy like it would have been with the people that I was hanging out with back then. Kind of like uh, almost King Grizzardy proggy. Uh, it was it was interesting. I, I was I was kind of impressed. Didn't stay that long for him, but you know it was good. Uh, I really did write down the name of that band somewhere, but it seems to have disappeared. Oh well. And then this Friday, uh, Nick and I went to. Local 506, a live venue slash bar on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. And we saw an old Boston band. And there's some friends of ours called Doc Hopper. And it was super fun. Uh, I mean, Chris, the main guy in Doc Hopper, was the only guy we knew in Doc Hopper. Like, the old people we knew in Doc Hopper are not on this tour, uh, Greg and John. But it was it was still really great. And there was, like, a four-punk band bill. It was pretty interesting. So the first band was local. They were very good, actually. Like, kind of 
very good. I was impressed. Uh, and you know, this town's got pretty hardcore live music scene, so I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but they're, they're solid. And when they were done, they were like, surely something great will follow us, which I really liked. I thought that was funny. But then the other three bands were all basically like the same kind of backing band and like different bands. Right. So the way it had happened is John, uh, Chris from Doc Hopper owns a studio in New Jersey, records a lot of punk bands and the other two bands had recorded at his studio. So they all just decided to do a tour together as all the bands. And so the bass player and the drummer who I met that night, but you know, I didn't know him. They played drums and bass punk, fast punk for three bands. It was really impressive. I mean, those guys have stamina. I was impressed. And uh, Doc Hopper did a sinkhole song, which is like their old his, one of the spinoff, a related band that he was in. And they covered Pleasant Valley Sunday by the Monkees, which was really good. And it just made me think a lot about Boston punk. I think about this a lot when I'm at Boston, like, you know, because like I knew a lot of those people. This is like true of other bands too, like Mike Gill and Dan Personals. They're kind of punky, or, you know, like Andrew Schneider, who was in Slug Hog. I, I like know the people but i didn't go to a lot of punk shows and so i don't often know their bands right you know i mean i saw doc hopper like 20 times don't get me wrong but like i wasn't in punk bands so my bands didn't play with their bands but like we all hung out as people and it just you know it just kind of made me think about it or like i was like oh yeah huh punk in boston it was a big thing anyway i worked at this recording studio and like sam black church would record there and stuff like that but like i didn't really you know go see i saw all those bands i saw slapshot i saw sam black church you know but my scene was a different scene but when you're musicians in Boston, it's just small enough that you can all hang out anyway, you know? So I find that keeps happening to me. Like, I'm like, I don't really know that guy's band, but I know that, I mean, I'm, you know, like, I don't really know the music, but I know the people in the band that happens a lot with the Boston band. So it was nice. It was good. Chris, I mean, uh, Nick is really good friends with, with everybody in dog cover and Chris and stuff. So that was cool. Uh, yeah, I got some vinyl, but I haven't listened to it any of it yet. <laughs> It's just piling up over there. Uh, the first two Big Star records, uh, Radio City and Big Star, have been reissued on really good vinyl issues, so I bought those. Uh, and then when I was ripping all my tapes, uh, was a lot of Tribe, the Boston band Tribe, was playing. And I have here at the home their first EP. I have most of the Tribe stuff. But what I didn't have is a vinyl copy of their major label album, Abort. And I wanted it. And the reason I didn't have it is because it never came out in America. So I had to order it from France. So I try to never order things overseas on Discogs because it's the shipping will kill you. But when you're doing it, you basically like anything on your want list that isn't in America, you just kind of like take that moment to buy as well. Right. So I found this guy in France and he had Abort on vinyl, the French pressing, European EU pressing. And uh, he also had the original first pressing of Movement by New Order, the factory pressing. I have a factory pressing, but it's a much later pressing. And, he, you know, the blue cover original one. So I bought that as well. And the guy only took bank wires, swift bank wires. It was this whole nightmare to pay the guy and took me forever to figure it out. But he was very patient. And those records came. So that's great. I have a beautiful, pristine first pressing of movement now. That makes me very, very happy. And then today when Josek and I were in Chapel Hill, I just bought four records feel pretty good about that. Uh, I bought the self-titled album by All About Eve. I have their other album, but I saw this is when I was a child. I was at School Kids about three months ago, and I, bought, I think I told you guys about this. I bought a bunch of Kate Bush 12 inches and stuff, but over there was a pile of all these other records that they hadn't processed yet, and I saw this All About Eve record on it, and I was like, I want that record. So I came back, and it, it was out on the, show, the floor today, so I got that. There's a 25th anniversary reissue of Let Me Come Over by Buffalo Tom, which I just love, and I did not have on vinyl, so I splurged for that one. That was expensive. That was like 20 bucks. There's a new Wire album on vinyl, but it was like $29 and eight tracks, and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. 
Got a pretty beat up used cheap copy of the best of Buffy St. Marie. I feel good about that. And I bought Mother's Heaven by Texas for like four bucks on vinyl because I love that album a lot. And I have the CD. I think it's sold by now. So I wanted that on vinyl. And I was talking to the like people that work there about my whole thing with, you know, selling the CDs and Marie Kondo and did this one spark joy and do I regret it leaving and then buying vinyl of some of them. And they thought it was all very fascinating. So I could talk with them. You know, the guy that used to work there was a little surly, but the two people there today were very friendly. They're taking the place and making a whole bar on the other side. I think I said this already, but it was, it was really nice. It was great. And so now I got a bunch of vinyl sitting over there that I haven't listened to and probably won't get to it for a couple of weeks because I am just ripping tapes. Did listen to a little bit of new music though. Basically what happens is around between three and four in the afternoon, I'll finish whatever tape I'm ripping and I'm like, okay, well there's not enough time to do another tape before the workday ends at five. So I have an hour to kill or whatever. And so I'll listen to an album. So I did get through, uh, the new Greg Dooley solo album, random desire a couple times. And I really like it. Sounds like twilight singers. If you're into them, it's solid recommended need to closely listen. Cause I've been work listening, but it's really good. And then Deus records, uh, Gibby, my friend Gibby's label has a new artist called Ricky R I K I. And they, it, the way they described the album just struck me. And I was like, Oh, this sounds great. I thought it'd be a little bit more goth, but it's really good. It's like kind of like melodic, synthie, like pop, dark pop, you know, goth E, but not goth, like churches ish, but less pop, maybe. I don't know. I've only given one and a half listens to it, but I really like it. Uh, and then I listened to the new Hammered Hulls single written word which is a new band on discord records i was alerted to from a discord spam uh it's alex mckay ian mckay's son and mary timoney on bass and somebody else i don't know but that was pretty good and then the ian mckay has a new band called core ricky and i bought that i was like okay i'm all over it i only there's only one song on Bandcamp, and uh the rest isn't out yet so I, even though i bought it i can't listen to it but uh that's kind of exciting right new ian mckay band i was i was into that core ricky check it out TV watched both debates, uh, watched the New Hampshire one, or I'm sorry, the Vegas one a day late and mainly listened to it in the car when I was driving around doing all those errands for buying my dad depends and things like that. But, you know, I got to hear uh, all the rips on Bloomberg, and then I watched the Charleston one, and everybody rip on Bernie and blah, blah, blah. The Charleston one was pretty hard. The moderators did not keep those people under control. Um, and then, but, you know, watching debates, watch a little bit of coverage. Kind of fascinated with the way the, all the Bernie people are very angry with MSNBC for not having enough Bernie people and how mad they get at Chris Matthews. That guy's really got to go, man. He really keeps just sticking his foot in his mouth. Uh, I mean, I don't think I share his politics, but I feel just bad. He's, like, old and doddering and, like, you know, Oh my God, he just says the dumbest stuff. Uh, but they took him out the coverage, so he wasn't on the post. Uh, he wasn't on the election coverage last night. So I think Chris Matthews is off the bill because MSNBC is just sick of him embarrassing them. Uh, then we finished Cheer before I left. I may have already told you about that. Uh, that was intense. I think there could be a season two of that. And we are currently working on BoJack Horseman's last season. What a clever show, you know? I think it's going to end strong. We're, no, we're like five episodes in. Uh, I just, you could watch that. I think I'm going to watch it again someday and just look at the backgrounds because the, the number of puns in that, in the background are just amazing. It really is impressive. And then we're watching the, uh, <laughs> the Lego reality show on Fox hosted by Will Arnett because, you know, I like Legos. It's just good enough to not be intolerable, even though it's a reality show. It's basically Great British Bake Off, but with Legos, right? And Will Arnett instead of, what's his name, from the Mighty Boosh. And it's like, 
I wouldn't say it's good, but it's good enough for when you're not really care about paying attention. There have been four episodes and I'm like, I'm not really invested in who wins or not. I don't think I'll be following any of these creators on Instagram. Like I follow Manon from the Great British Baking Show, but you know, it's fine. It's Will Arnett is a funny dude. Uh, so I enjoy that, but really all I've been watching are live streams of people playing civilization, which is kind of insane. I realize, and Emma thinks I'm totally crazy for it, but I could watch it for like five hours. I don't watch them live because I know, you know, they do it all day and I'm working and stuff. But in the evening I watch the YouTube recaps of, (laughs) of people playing civilization. And I'm not even playing civilization much anymore, but like, it's just sort of, you know, it's very interesting. And I'm just fascinated with people that make a living doing this. I've never really, like, I mean, I got a Twitch account for this, but I'm mainly watching it on YouTube. And I've never really delved into the world of live streamers that make money for things. You know, I mean, I know about the influencers and stuff because you care about them in the ad world. But, like, you know, these people that just play video games, it's civilization, too. This guy plays, like, 10 hours a day and just patiently on deity plays through every sieve and wins almost every time. I've never seen him lose yet. And, um... But I just have questions, right? I've learned a lot, which is nice, but I have questions because it always seems easier for him than it does for me. Like, he never gets, like, insane barb infestations like I do and stuff. But uh, I was thinking, like, that's kind of a cool life. I could get into that, but, you know, there's already a bunch of people that do it. And then I realized what the world needs is somebody that does civ live streaming as a benevolent leader, right? Because all these people, they'll, like, switch to the fascism government if it helps them win. Or they'll, like, attack and take over a city-state if it helps them win. And I'm like, no, man, you got to win and also be benevolent. And really think about the humans that are inside the game, right? And so I think it would be fun to be a live streamer that talks about, like real politics and real like humanity while you're playing the game and, and, and tries to be like a sort of Bernie esque good person leader, but also win at civilization. I think it'd be kind of amazing just to prove it's possible. Right. And give them all universal healthcare and stuff like that. Uh, so that'd be fun. That's when I, that's my new dream of what I'll do after time hop. That's replacing my old storage wars dream. Although I still really, I, I still cling to the storage wars dream. I'm not going to lie. I did see a couple movies, but mainly I saw them like drunk after going out with Frank in Alaska. I saw America's Sweethearts with John Cusack and uh, Julie. What's her name? Uh, that woman that's like pretty woman. <laughs> uh, you know, only one of the most famous actresses in the world. <laughs> oh, my God. I got to look it up. Right. Julia Roberts. <laughs> well, that's quite a brain fart there. Uh, yeah, you know, one of those shows where like they try to take a beautiful actress and pretend that they weren't attractive at some point, uh, you know, like Rachel Bilson in that one where you're just like, no, man, come on. You're not fooling anyone. Julia Roberts is attractive. Even if you make her hair messy and put glasses on her and put her in a sweater, we're not fooled. Uh, not a particularly great movie. Screenplay and ideas kind of good. It's Billy Crystal wrote the screenplay and he stars in it as well. He's in it, but it's just not, it's not well done. Uh, and also not well done. And I may have been drunk and I actually, I'm curious what you guys think, but I watched America's, uh, straight out of Compton. Finally, never got around to seeing it. And like, I love the story and I think the acting's good, but like the movie just seemed kind of dumb. Uh, and I don't mean like people are making dumb decisions. They should know more about management. No, I get all that. I'm just saying like it was poorly edited and stuff, but I was watching it on TV with the swear words cut out and I bet there was more edited out and I don't really want to watch it again unless it's good. So somebody tell me if it was actually good. Maybe like it's not that good. I don't know. It didn't seem that good to me, but it was an edited version and I was drunk and it was like 1am. So I could be wrong. Uh, I read books, <laughs> I read two books, two whole books in two weeks. I'm on, I'm on my schedule. Uh, I've read the possibility of an Island by Michel Hulebeck. 
If you have heard of Michel Hulebeck, he is a French author who is considered very controversial because he's basically everybody accuses of being sexist and Islamophobic. And uh, I, but they say he's very good. So I was like, I want to see how bad this is. And actually, he is, in fact, pretty sexist and homophobic. It's pretty interesting. Like, there's a defense, like the main character who feels who's like feels very romantic left autobiographical even though it's a sci-fi book uh but you know sure it's a character and the character is character is sexist and islamophobic and not him but really the more you read it and you're like kind of like you know it's a sci-fi plot goes into the future it's like interesting it's around the church and post-humanism and uh but he just talks about immigration so much and islamic immigration and islam islamicism like it's a big thing and it's like yeah it's not like like this tells me more about you like if you're a sci-fi author that keeps going on about immigration that's because you're obsessed with islamic immigration not because that's like a a, a you know a political extrapolation of the future so i don't know it definitely was kind of sexist and islamophobic and that was a bit of a bummer the plot was kind of interesting the first two-thirds of the book you know it's like the the character is definitely very sexist and he's kind of an asshole and so it's a little hard but it is interesting plot and you are kind of into it and then it just kind of gets boring at the end, but it's pretty interesting. There's this church that sort of slowly takes over the world and, uh, you know, supplants Catholicism and Islamicism and everything over time. And the, the main character is a witness to this. He's not like, a, he's not an organizer. He's not like a mastermind behind the church or anything, but he's like, you know, uh, maybe like a Forrest Gump kind of thing. He's just present when all this stuff happens. And, and, uh, it was kind of interesting. His experiences being the first person in the church reminded me a lot of back when I was a barbarian and I'd be like the first to like try the iPhone or like see what a virgin Atlantic was going to be or something like that and talk to people about it. And it'd be like a year or two before they even knew about it or took over. And the whole world thought I was kind of like crazy when I'd be babbling about it. You know, like cool sculpting is a great example, right? We helped launch that company like 10 years ago and nobody ever knew what I was talking about. Now their ads are everywhere and everybody at least has heard of cool sculpting. And it was like, kind of like, he kind of reminded me of that because he's like there for the beginning of this church. But by the time the church gets big, that stuff was 10 years in the, in earlier. So it was not really relevant. I don't know. That was kind of interesting. And, you know, I have a friend who'd been in a cult and like, you know, this church thing kind of reminded me of like the, their whole situation with being in a cult and getting out of it. And this, this church in this book is not actually as predatory as cults are, but it does take all your money. So there's some similarities there. And, and then, uh, it also kind of like the, the leader of the church in the book was named Vincent and he, he wasn't the founder of it, but he's the leader later, but he's kind of an artist and it actually reminded me a lot of Meow Wolf. <laughs> because the founder's name is Vincent and he's an artist and it's like a lot of immersive experiences. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. What if Meow Wolf turned into a religion? That'd be kind of, that'd be kind of fascinating. Uh, but you know, it just kind of, it, it peters out at the end. And so I would not recommend it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like an extrapolation of one, one decade zeitgeist, like the, you know, the 2010 zeitgeist in Europe of like, you know, immigration and this and that, and, and like extrapolate that one decade out to millennia. And it already feels dated at like a decade later, right? Like the things they cared about in the 2010s aren't the things we care about now. And so like, uh, let alone 2000 years from now, cause this book spans millennia. So uh, like, you know, a lot of like, kind of like early Star Trek was like that with the, with the Soviets and things like that. And then, uh, you know, it's just like, also it's astonishingly Eurocentric, like basically comedically Eurocentric, like Asia doesn't matter in this book and America doesn't matter in this book. And it's like, yeah, who are we kidding? Europe barely matters now, let alone like a hundred and 200, 300 years from now. <laughs> 
or maybe it will. Maybe America will fall apart and Asia will never find democracy and it'll just be Europe. Who knows? I guess it could go either way, but he didn't, that's not, that wasn't the story. <laughs> like the geopolitics between the, the three continents are unchanged in his story from now, but somehow Europe's the only thing that matters. I don't know. It was really, really weird. Uh, anyway, uh, it was okay. I do not recommend it. It was fine. It was pleasant to read. No, it was interesting to read. Uh, and then I read a book I've had for a long time that I've been meaning to read for ages, which is called Sweating Bullets, Notes About Inventing PowerPoint by Robert Gaskins, the man who invented PowerPoint. And it was astonishingly more interesting than I thought because it's really a book about the history of early desktop computing graphical computing, the early Mac and the rise of windows and how like Mac was dominating the windows took over and like all this stuff that I said was using the software then and confused about like, why did Microsoft make such good software for Apple? And why did PowerPoint come out on the Mac before windows? And you know, like all that stuff. And it's just super interesting to me. And it was like, you know, I worked not long out of college. I worked at this place in Somerville, Massachusetts called the apex design group. And really, like, she was a designer, and she would clean up PowerPoint presentations, and but she made her bread and butter off of printing them. She had a slide printer, right? So back when PowerPoint first came out, before we all used video projectors, you printed your PowerPoint presentation onto slides, put them in a carousel, and use a slide projector. And this woman that I worked for, that was her main money. And I would spend my time cleaning up PowerPoint presentations that would be printed onto slides. So I'm reading this book about the invention of this. And, and I remember in PowerPoint, there's a menu that said, send to Jenny graphics. And I didn't really know what that meant. And he talked all about Jenny graphics, which is like, it started out as the business presentation division of GE and turned into a separate company and had like graphics consoles that were like computers, mainframe computers made to make slides before the PC came along. And I didn't know anything about that, but I had always seen this menu item when I was working when I was a kid. And so that was really interesting and like you know this man that did this he's like why fonts work cross-platform right so this whole thing about postscript fonts and true type fonts and the fonts on the back and the pc having to match because he wanted powerpoint to work on both of them and it's just so fascinating you know and uh it, yeah it's just great i strongly recommend it peter's out at the end guy's definitely like a, has a high opinion of himself like literally wrote his biography into the last chapter of the book and the, including like all his like you know libertarian endeavors and is like he's a now that he's retired you know he's a microsoft millionaire um he is like a, an authority on the concertina but like the in, in old english piano like instrument right <laughs> and he had to write a bunch about that and i'm like this is nothing to do with powerpoint like you can really just lop off the last hundred pages but it's a pretty fascinating book if you ever worked in this industry and if you work with powerpoint then you know like there's a bunch of cultural stuff that's interesting but uh, I, yeah, I was not bored at all through the entire book. <laughs> Maybe that's just me, but I strongly recommend it. So now I finished that last night. So I don't know what I'm going to read next. I might pick up uh, Joanne McNeil's new book. I bought it, but uh, I haven't read it yet. So I might do that next. I like to read books by friends when possible. So I don't know. You'll have to find that out next time. Oh, I think that's about it. Uh, I'm, you know, work is fine. I'll talk about that next time. We're, we're getting on here in time here and I'm going to New York tomorrow. So it seems more appropriate for the next podcast and, uh, diet, you know, I did pretty well on the diet when I was in Fairbanks. I only gained like two pounds, which is pretty good. So I'm back down. I haven't lost, I'm broke the low, but I'm at 16 pounds, 14 pounds lost since I started this diet. And you know, it's less than 14 weeks. I realized I just need to lose a pound a week all year. That's my plan. 
Uh, but the bad news is that I got a blood test right before I left and my cholesterol has not gotten better, even though I eat really well and it's really maddening. And in fact, it got worse and I don't know why it's probably cause it's winter and I'm not as active and it's a bummer. And my doctor basically insisted I go on a statin and I've been trying to avoid it for years, but I just started it and I'm super bummed about it and I feel like I failed, but I'm going to do it. And I don't know, maybe I'll do it for like a year see how it is. And then if it's all good, I'll go off it for a month and see if I can do it again. Cause I am losing weight constantly. So that supposedly helps. Uh, and I, yeah, there's some dietary tweaks I'm going to do, uh, but I'm doing 90% of the dietary stuff already. And it's just not helping. I don't drink a glass of red wine every night cause I'm trying not to drink all the time. So that's like a dilemma. I got to like hash out with my wife or something, but it's a bummer getting old sucks, man. Don't ever do it. I don't recommend it. Well, that about wraps it up. Thanks for listening. Thanks for letting me talk about my dad. It's helpful. Uh, I know it's a bummer. I apologize. I don't want to bum you guys out or anything like that, but it helps me out. I'll, I'll keep you apprised, but now that you know the basic situation, I don't have to talk about it so much next time, but thanks for listening. Hope you guys are doing all right. Talk to you guys in a couple weeks and stay healthy.